You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, welcome. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. I, I do really encourage you, if you've not been to Discover, maybe you've been uh, to Banner Church a couple times, a couple months, a couple years. Well, I guess we've only been around for two years, so maybe all two. You've never really like heard about uh, what's going on here or heard Katie in my heart. Um, I just really want to encourage you. It's a great time to come, hear about how to get connected, uh, hear about where God's taking the church, meet some other people who are newer. Um, that's the thing about being a new church. Everybody's new. Um, so if you're waiting for that old time, long time person to come greet you because you feel like you're new uh, and you've been here for more than a month, you're the old time, long time person. <laughs> um, so, hey, G, can you dial this back just a little bit for me? That'd be awesome. I'm about to preach. So, um, I'm excited that you're here this morning. We're in this series, um, and, and, and I'd love to talk to you again more and discover right after service. We'll have lunch for you. Uh, but right now, we're going to be talking about pursuit, and you joined us in the middle of our series through Luke 15. And we've been talking about how God pursues us, and I've really enjoyed it. It's been cool to see what God has done even last week as we went to two services. Uh, it was exciting to see seven people gave their life to the Lord. And so God is moving. And it's just fantastic. So um, I had to go back to my other Bible. Uh, I had the really uh, awesome privilege of meeting some great people and just uh, seeing what God is doing and, and the miracle in their life. And I just tell you, I'm just going to believe with you that God does miracles here. And it's not because this building is extra special or because we wrote verses on the floor. I mean, we did that. But uh, it's because when we're gathered together and we seek God, I just believe that we serve a God who's a God of miracles. And I believe that he can do a miracle in your life. And this morning, I think he's going to want to speak into your heart. And the reason we're doing this series is because last week we talked about that no one is too lost for the love of Jesus. But this week specifically, I want to talk to you that you were created with a God-given value and a God-given purpose. And so we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 15. If you brought your Bible, you can open up there. Um, if not, the words will be up on the screen. We're going to be in verse 8. I cut my, my thumb op open this week, and by open, I mean off. And um, I was clapping, and man, I really worked it over, so I'm feeling it today. What I've noticed is... Um, uh, this seems to be a thing that men do is damage their thumbs because like like every dude's like, oh, yeah, me too. Look at this. Look at this baby. I just talked to Jake. He just showed me he drilled through his thumb. Um, I know women probably do it, too. I mean, it's about equality. You guys mess up your thumbs, too, but we're just dumber. And so <laughs> we hurt ourselves more. Uh, we're more dramatic about it when we get hurt, you know, the whole thing. Um, but uh, I'm excited because I believe that God has a word for you. And uh We've been in this pursuit series, and I shared last week, if you weren't here, I want to catch you up. And we shared about Jesus uh, being the shepherd and the good shepherd and that he pursues us. And it's interesting because I've been talking to people this week following up from this message. A lot of people have been like, really, like, I just, I, it's hard for me to accept that Jesus really pursues me to hell and back. That he really has pursued me. That he really has come after me. And I think that goes to a lot of how we see ourselves and what we feel like we have to prove to the Lord. I think it really speaks to our self-image. I think it speaks to our self-identity. And so this morning, we're going to go through the very next parable in order because I think Jesus gives us for a very specific reason. Because not only is he trying to say that we are uh, pursued by God, but that there's something important about us to the Lord. 
Because I think if we were to say, like, again, I've never owned sheep, so I don't have, like, a deep, deep attachment to sheep. I've known people that have owned goats. That's as close as I've gotten. And to be honest, I would not fight a lion for a goat. I would say, you are on your own. I will Venmo you the cash for that goat because it's not important to me. I don't like goats. Well, I like goats, but I'm not going to, like, fight a lion for one. And so uh, there's this kind of separation that exists, I think, being non-pastoral people when it comes to shepherding. Like, we don't have flocks. But I think Jesus puts this in place to really show an element of the Trinity, but also to show uh, the importance of us as people is that God has created you with and sent the Holy Spirit to really restore you into your God-given value and purpose. Someone say value. Okay. Whew. That was a rough. Someone say value. Value. There we go. Awesome. Someone say purpose purpose. Awesome. There's, here's the thing. I'm going to share what I believe is the word of God. And then if you think I'm not crazy, just affirm me so I don't speak into the void. But some of you guys are like, well, I would never public speak because it sounds terrifying. Try public speaking in front of 100 people that don't say anything back, but just stare at you. <laughs> it's even scarier. But I, I, I believe God's going to speak some to you this morning. So open your Bible, Luke 15, 8, and uh, we're going to read it together. Are you ready? Yep, let's do it. Parable of the lost coin. It goes like this. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angel of God, angels of God, over one sinner who repents. So Jesus has just taught the parable of the lost sheep. If you want to go back uh, or if you're online, just click back one section. And uh, you can listen to our podcast on that from last week. But this week we're talking about the fact that you were created with a God-given value of purpose. And so Jesus tells this parable. And it's important. He's not just duplicating the parable. When Jesus shared, it was intentional. He was trying to teach. Jesus was not winging it. He wasn't like rolling with the punches and it's like, wow, I just never anticipated this at all. I mean, Jesus is very thoughtful about what he's doing, fully man, fully God. And so he's telling us something thoughtful. And if you think something is repeating in Scripture, but you notice there's a difference, just in your study, pay attention to the difference and it'll inform your perspective. And so we see this woman who has 10 coins and loses one. And I brought this coin. This is actually a coin from Costa Rica, but it's the biggest coin that I have. And it's 500 uh, colones, and I don't know what that translates to, but let's say $500 so it feels valuable. It's probably like $5. What is it, Kate? I don't know. You speak Spanish. I thought you would know. Um, fine. That's all right. Where's Ruben? <laughs> um, but anyways, I have this coin, and, it, and it's important because uh, the woman loses one of her coins, but I think it's important to realize it's more than just, like, loose change. Like, if I'm going to be honest, I know this is going to make me sound really bougie, but if I drop, like, a penny on the ground, I likely will not bend down and get it. And I know that makes me feel like a bad person, and I know you're judging me for it. You're like, oh, my gosh, so Scottsdale. I live in Tempe, so <laughs> trust me, Tempe people, we, we pick down and we get change. But, like, you know, I don't know, man. I don't know if you've ever done that. Like, if you lose change on the bathroom floor, like, I'm not going to get it. I mean, to, to be fair, I wouldn't pick up anything from, like, a public bathroom floor. I'd drop my phone down there. i just kick it under the stall like it's someone else's problem now. Anything, computers, children, whatever. You drop it on the bathroom floor, it stays there. It's too dirty. You don't pick it up. You don't know what people have done in there. I see people in the public bathroom, and I, and I just can't even imagine what they do unobserved, let alone. I'm not, like, watching them. But anyway, it's not important. 
But the change, it's more than just change. And uh, the, the coin that's being mentioned there is a drachma, and it would have been one day's wages. So she didn't lose 25 cents. I mean, if that's what she got paid, then fine. She lost one day's wages. So just imagine you have dropped your paycheck. You have lost your paycheck. It was kind of like a big deal. And even more importantly than that, the next level of importance is it wasn't just like a gem or a diamond. It, It wasn't just like a piece, like a hunk of silver. It was a coin. And that Jesus specifically uses a coin versus like a material. And I think that's important because a coin is worth more than the material it's made out of. Now, for some times in history, coins have been worth literally their weight in gold or silver. But in a lot of history, they're not worth just like their shape or weight, right? And if like our coins were worth their different weights, it's like, why is a nickel so big and a diamond so small? Right? They're different things. They were at a different substance. One was nickel, one was silver, right? But what makes a coin valuable is the image that it bears, right? This has an image. It's linked to um, Costa Rica. It bears this image. There's an authority behind it, a Costa Rican authority uh, b- behind this coin. For the time that this parable is being shared, when they would make a coin, they would stamp the face of Caesar on it which is a pretty, um, pretty baller move, to be honest, is he would take his face and they would stamp the face of Caesar. And what that meant is this is the authority behind this money and it's worth this much. It bears his face. And if you said, no, it's not worth that much money, they would come with their army and they would say, yes, it is. And your response would be, yes, it is. It is worth that much money. Please don't kill me and my family. So there was like an authority behind this thing because it it bore the image. And that is coins really from the dawn of time is someone would stamp their face on them, still do. And there's something about stamping the image of authority on a coin that gives it real and true value. This is true for us. See, God gave you value. Listen to me this morning. God gave you value when he stamped you with his image. The reason that the money of Caesar was worth what it was worth wasn't just its substance. It was its maker. It was the king. And yet we know about Caesar, you know, kind of harken back uh, to elementary school or high school or if you're Jamin yesterday, and, and know that Caesar was overthrown and he was stabbed like 800 times in the back, right? He, he's dead. He's gone. He is dead, dead, gone. There's no authority. If you stood up and said, well, I'm not going to go to jail because of Caesar, the cops would look at you like you were an idiot and you would go to jail. There's no authority. He's gone. And yet you and I were stamped, hear me, with the authority of a king who will never be deposed, who can never be killed, who can never be removed. On your life, you bear the image stamped into you of a king who establishes your value and can never be proven wrong. Genesis 1.27, right at the old beginning of the Bible, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He stamped you with his value by putting his image on you. And so it is his authority that you bear. It is his God-given. You have God-given value and purpose. 
Let me give you another example here. Let me pull my wallet out here. Let me pull out $5 bill. Uh, who here would like a $5 bill? Just real quick. Okay. Bennett, why don't you come up here, brother? You're going to have to stand here awkwardly to earn it. Uh, <laughs> okay. You don't get it yet. How much is this worth right now? I mean, it looks normal. You can look it over. It's normal. I'm not a magician. Perfect. I don't even have all my thumbs. I can't do magic. <laughs> can't even use knives. Um, okay. So this is worth $5. It's got Abraham Lincoln. I said in the first service, somebody took offense. I said, great president, not as great of a face. Um, but but we, uh, it's got Abraham Lincoln on it. It's got all this information about our country, all this kind of stuff. Um, so this is worth $5. You want this. Okay. If I do this, I crumbled the heck. I mean, I'm really going for it, just so you know. Okay, how much is it worth now? And do you want it? Are you sure? It's pretty beat up. And it was in my pocket. Okay, okay. What about now? What's it worth? And do you still want it? All right. You're going to make me work for this one. All right. What's it worth? And do you still want it? All right, okay. I'm really going to give it my all here, amigo. Making me work for this. I run the church. I don't have to work this hard. Okay, hold on. Look at this. Look at this mangled mess. What is this worth? I just beat the literal stuff out of it. <laughs> We're recording this one, so i got to be careful. Um <laughs> How much is it worth still? And do you still want this? Okay, hold on. Don't go anywhere, but just unfold it for a second. Here's the deal. No matter how much I beat down on this $5 bill, no matter how much I wailed on it, no matter how much I stomped on it, if I just took it and yelled obscenities at it and literally kicked it around, it would still be worth $5 because I didn't give it value. It was given value by the authority that created it. And some of you, you might feel beat up. This is mangled. They still got to take it. They, it's still worth it. They still, if you pay lunch for this, they still have to take it. It's still good. It still has value. Not because of anything that beat down on it. Not because the weight of what smashed it, wrinkled it, tore it, broke it, beat it down, yelled at it, screamed at it, spit on it, rubbed some dirt on it. We could get that thing stinky and crazy, and it would still be worth. You might not want it as much then. That's okay. But it's still worth $5 in your life. It is not your wounds that decide your worth. It is the wounds of Jesus Christ who went to the cross for you and went to the cross to take all your sin and shame and says, you are worth it. So though the world has tried to step on you, jump on you, beat down on you, weigh against you, lay things upon you, scream things at you, you still have the same worth, and God still wants you. Amen? Thank you, bro. Can we give it up, my brother, this morning? It is Jesus' wounds that determine your, determine your worth, not yours. You are more than your situation and your substance. You are more than the things that people have done to you and stomped on you. You're worth more. And I love that as he pulls out this coin and he's, he's telling this, this story and they're getting the picture of a coin in, in their mind being lost is that it's not just that you're valuable. It's not just that someone described you a value as if you were some commodity to be used. 
is that you're not just valuable, you're precious to God. You're not just valuable, you're precious to God. See, the coin in the story isn't just valuable because it can do stuff. This is what I love about this. This is clever. I did a lot of research to, to, to find this out because I don't know much about ancient Near East coins or tradition or women and coins. So I really had to dig. But here's the thing. The coin was not valuable because of what it could do, even though it had great worth. It was valuable because it was precious, because it was close to her heart. See, women at the time, they would have ten coins, and often these coins would be sewn together into a headdress. This is my Cubs hat, but picture it. And they would be sewn together, ten coins, and they would sometimes be given uh, in a wedding ceremony. They were a symbol of harmony and unity in the home. Sometimes they were sewn as a necklace, but either way, they were very close and near and dear. These were not pocket change. These were not just paychecks. These were heirlooms. These were precious things. These were everyday things. These were closeness things, near and dear. And so it's not just that it has value like it could do something, and it could be used for something. This woman, no matter how destitute, would not have sold this thing. It was precious. It was near. And so when it's being lost, it's not like, well, I hope I restore it. I hope I can find it so I can finally do something with it. It's that it's precious. It's dear. It has value. See, you and I, we have value, not just because God wants to do something with us, not just because God wants you to get it together and start coming to church more. I mean, I like church. I'd advise that you come. I think it's a good idea. But that's not why your value lays. Your value is not in finally get your stuff together, finally be better this, be a better this, be a better part of this, produce more in this, prove more of this, and all these things. Thank you, my brother. Your value is not found in these things. Your value is found in that you are precious to God and you are near to his heart. And so losing the coin was like losing a child. It was losing something precious. It was like losing something near and dear. Last time, last week I talked about when my kid ran away at the park, right? It's like losing something near and dear to you. Jesus is saying, you are precious to me. God created you for the purpose of relationship. Did you know that? You have a God-given value, and you have a God-given purpose. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Jump back. If you still got your Bibles open, Luke 15, verse 8. It says, she loses one coin. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Okay, so the metaphor here, sin has caused a separation. See, God has not abandoned, forsaken, left, distanced himself from us. It's sin that causes the separation. Because sin says, God, I don't need a God. I've found God, and I am that God, and I sit on the throne of my life. And so when you tell God, God, I don't need you to be God of my life. I got this. He says, well, I'm not going to force you to love me. And so there's a separation that has occurred. And so Jesus begins to paint this picture of seeking and residences at the time, let me describe to you, I, I feel like if you've ever uh, seen uh, old Pueblo Indian dwellings, you probably like mentally could get the closest when it comes to in this nation. 
and they were uh, no glass, no AC, just sounds like a blast, honestly, 100-degree uh, temperature, sounds amazing, uh, no air conditioning. I live off air conditioning. I love the heat, but I also love when you come to a nice, cool house, and it feels like Colorado. It's amazing. Uh, but no AC, no glass, nothing. And so when the houses, they would have very little windows, and if they had windows, they were, um, they were like, like lattices, if that makes sense. And uh, the floors were dirt floors, but as any good parent would tell you, that's an awful plan if you have children, dirt floors, because children are just like made of goo, and they just get stuff everywhere, and, um, or apparently just my child. And so they would put straw down, layers of straw down on the floor, and these layers of straw would collect the stuff that comes in, because they were a sandal society, and so... There's a lot of stuff. You're walking around all day in sandals. And so stuff would come in, and it would fall under into the straw and kind of like out of sight, out of mind, till you get rid of all the straw. Um, which, living here and thinking of bugs, I was thinking about this between services, like, oh my gosh, can you imagine the bugs just living under the straw? <laughs> so we're like, great, now I'm going to have nightmares. You're welcome. <laughs> so coming to Banner Church. But there's this moment where there's this layer of straw, and there's this layer of, of all the stuff and all the dirt and all the things that have fallen in, and that's where the coin has fallen in. But there's not light. It doesn't look like this. So there has to be a lantern lit, and there has to be this stirring process that occurs. And an important thing that's occurring here is that it still has value, though it's lost. It's not like, well, when it's found, then it'll be valuable. When it's found, it'll be restored back to the intimacy of its purpose. Right now, it still has value. If you feel lost, if you feel trapped, you still have value, though the enemy might have lied that you do not. You still have value. God just wants to restore you into the purpose. And this is what gives way for the Holy Spirit. See, the first parable that we see in Luke 15 is the parable of the lost sheep. And the parable of the lost sheep is about Jesus, but we serve a triune God. See, the parable of the prodigal son, which we'll have next week, is about God the Father. So what is the woman about? Who's the woman? It's just Jesus part two. He doesn't really nail his point home because he's not good at telling stories, so we thought he'd double down. No, the woman is the Holy Spirit. The shepherd is Jesus the Father is God the Father. The woman is the Holy Spirit. We preach the whole Bible. We preach on the Holy Spirit. It'd be much easier to skip those parts as a preacher, trust me. But it's what makes good church good and powerful and real is that God has given us the Holy Spirit. And what we see in this moment is that the Holy Spirit pursues us with truth and stirring. This is how the Holy Spirit works. This is why I believe this is when you study this, when you open this up, you begin to see it. It begins to be enlightened like, oh, my gosh, the Holy Spirit is pursuing us with truth and stirring. What do I mean truth and stirring? Is that verse 8 says, she lights a lamp. The word there is to kindle a flame, to begin to illuminate, to bring light to. We're told in John 16, 13 by none other than Jesus Christ that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. See, the Holy Spirit is like a lamp in a dark place. The Lord's word is a light into our feet, but it's the Holy Spirit that, that brings light and truth into places where there was deception and darkness. And when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, he calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. John 15, 26 says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, and here's the name he gives him, 
the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he, the spirit of truth, will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit comes in and begins to light dark places, begins to bring in truth through the word, begins to speak to the Bible, begins to speak to your heart, begins to inform your perception. This is why you can be in some of the darkest places and all of a sudden you begin to have this light shine in that begins to say, this isn't your story. Like, this isn't your story. This isn't your life. This isn't, this isn't where this ends. This isn't your identity. This isn't truth. This is deception. You're like, where did this come from? Like, really? Like, you just, you begin to feel this light and this truth come in, and it's affirmed by the word of God. If it's, if it's not in here, you're hearing the wrong thing. It's affirmed by the word of God, which is the light and the truth of the Holy Spirit begins to speak it. And then the Holy Spirit begins to stir up our hearts. And we see verse 8, it says, it says, she sweeps the house and seeks diligently until she finds it. So here, here's this picture. She realizes at some point that what was precious to her, most precious to her, is lost. And it's not near. It's not close. And so she realizes she has a couple options. Leave it lost, which is not an option to her. Or she's got to get down into this straw that everybody's tracked in all this junk. So who knows what's under here? Probably spiders. And <laughs> let's just be real. And she has to stir it up because she can't just take it. And I love this about the Holy Spirit. Can't just take it and just start winging it outside because if that coin's in there. And sometimes we try too hard to clean things that we're not prepared to sift through. And we try to, as a church, clean people that we're not willing to sift through the crud with. And so we start throwing things out and we really throw out what's precious. And we should have sat down. Some neighborhood kid finds it called addiction. And we really should have just sat down and we should have just gone through it. And so she starts to go through the straw and all the things that come up. And once she gets all the things that are covering it, all the lies, all the deception, all the covering that's on top, and she takes that all out. Then she sees all the debris and all the thing that's blocking the vision, that's blocking the perception, and she begins to sweep it clean. And there's a careful attention. God is not violent in assessing your soul. He cares for you, and he loves you. And it might kind of hurt a little bit, but the reality is he's trying to make a way. And God is the God. The Holy Spirit gets down down in the junk, and he sifts through it. He's not afraid of that. He sifts through it. He gets down into it. And that's when you begin to sense some of you were here this morning purely because of the Holy Spirit stirring on your life. You would never come into church. Maybe you kind of feel like you got a little trick. No one told you they would be singing and a guy talking. You were like, I don't really know what to expect. This doesn't look anything like mass. And now I'm here. <laughs> I don't know what is going on. Uh, just calm down. But it's because the Holy Spirit is trying to stir something up in your life. See, I'm second on the scene. He's already been working on your heart. He's trying to stir something. He's trying to waken something up because you're feeling trapped. You're feeling separated from your purpose and the value. And you're beginning to have self-doubt and self-hate and struggle with, your, with who you are and who you're meant to be and where you're meant to go and what you're meant to do. And you're under the weight of those things. And so the Holy Spirit is beginning to stir it up. And yeah, there's a little dust and it smells a little bit. And you worry that people are going to judge that, but they're not because it turns out we've all been under here and God's done it for everybody. And so if anyone judges you, we'll just toss them out. It's fine. And the, and the Holy Spirit is just stirring it up, and he's trying to waken something up in you. I love in Acts 10. It's one of, I just love this part of Scripture. Is that, uh, we're introduced to Cornelius, and I don't have time to read it all to you, but you can go look it up. Write down Acts 10 in your notes. Go read about it. It's fantastic. 
but the gospel really hadn't in, in, in a fullness sense been released to the Gentiles in, in ways that had intersected with people who were non-Jewish. But in a lot of ways at this point in Acts, it, Acts comes right after the gospels. Uh, it, and at this point, the gospel had not really gone out to the non-Jewish people. And so there was a man named Cornelius who they says was a devout man. And he was just praying. And he wasn't considered to be in the fold of who is acceptable. And yet as he's praying and as he's seeking God and he's fasting, minor plug for fasting will change your life if you have never fasted. It's an important spiritual discipline. It is united with prayer and the beautiful marriage of the church, and it will break the strongholds of your life, and you should do it. But as he's praying and fasting, as he's going through these things, and he's seeking, the Holy Spirit begins to stir. No context. No idea. No perception. And the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to him and gives him a vision. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit is giving Peter a vision to connect with Cornelius and share the gospel. See, the Holy Spirit is first on the scene. And he's stirring. And he's moving hearts. And his desire is that those who are lost would be found. As we're talking about loss, can I tell you one of my biggest fears is that you're going to think lost means bad. I was like, how do I say this in a poetic way so no one thinks lost means bad? So I'll just say, lost does not mean bad. Just because you have not received the full hope that comes through Jesus Christ and you feel under the weight does not mean you're a bad person. It just means that there is a God-given value and purpose in your life that God wants to lift you up and restore you to, that you were created for, and that we feel like we struggle. Hear me say, I don't, I'm not preaching this to convict you, but to give you hope that the Holy Spirit is here to stir your heart and raise you up into your God-given value and purpose. Are you with me? Okay, no one's going to leave here feeling judged. I hope not. If not, go watch the podcast. <laughs> But you were created, can I tell you, you were created to live in the freedom and the power of a new life in Christ. That's why you were created, the freedom and the power of a new life of Christ. If you feel trapped, it's not the intent. If you feel powerless, that's not the intent. Through the Holy Spirit, you were created to live in the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ. One of my favorite things about being a child of God is that regardless of how lost or found you might feel, you are God's masterpiece. This is so important. You are God's masterpiece. If you don't hear another word I say and you didn't hear a word before it, hear me say, regardless of what you think about yourself and regardless what someone has told you, if it is anything other than you are God's masterpiece, they lied to you. Because you are God's masterpiece. Now, that doesn't mean you're perfect. God's perfect. <laughs> it means you are God's masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship. Mine says, masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Get this for a second. For we are his masterpiece, his workmanship, his craftsmanship, whatever your translation says, the idea here is a masterpiece, something that somebody makes and steps back and is like, that's good. I feel good about that. I've made a cool thing. 
that you are God's masterpiece. Notice how it isn't any conditions. It just says you're God's masterpiece, that you are special to God. And it says you were created in Christ Jesus for what? Someone shout out what you were created for. Someone, oh, man, I just, let me go back here real quick. Yep, I did just share with you all your purpose on the earth. So we'll try it again. Ready? We are created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Good things, works of the Spirit. Some, some translations, when talking about good works, really specifically talk about works of the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit in union with you. You were created for good things. It's not saying you were created to prove yourself. And what I love is that it says that God has prepared them beforehand. Right? So God created you for what? Good works. God created you for what? There we go. That one's better. I like that one. Because he prepared them beforehand, meaning that God is not rolling with the punches. God's not like, oh, man, you really messed up. What am I going to do now? Let's try relocation. <laughs> it's, God is not winging it with your life. Like, you are just so cosmically messed up that he has to, like, roll with the punches because you're crazy. Like, God is not winging it, figuring it out. God's not thinking, like, what is it, Monday? Man, I hope that, you know, Rick doesn't screw Monday up because I already used plan A and B. We're getting down to the C-level plans for your life. God prepared it beforehand that we should walk in them, that he's got a purpose, that he's got an authority, that there's a freedom and a power through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit for your life. And he prepared it for you. And you are a work of art. I love that. I like art. It's, it's kind of my deal. Uh, I enjoy it. I'm not very good at painting, but I enjoy paintings. It's kind of like I have this love-hate relationship. It's like, I love you, and I could never make you. Like, we have some painters in our church. I'm like, who are you? How do you make this? I, I don't even understand paint as a substance, if we're just being honest. It's a 1045 service. I don't understand how to make it work right and to layer it. I know you're like, that's crazy. You do that in, in, as a kid. Well, I didn't. I like drawing. <laughs> Or taking pictures. But I, I love the idea that we're a masterpiece because there's something special about it. It's interesting. Um, I was reading this story about these brothers in Jersey. And every great story starts with two brothers in Jersey. Um, no one laughed. Um, but <laughs> you're like, man, it's been half an hour. Make your point. Um, but I was reading this story about these two brothers in Jersey. And they were given this kind of unfortunate task, I would say, of um, dealing with their the stuff of their parents who had passed away. And so in a Jersey basement, again, where every great story starts, they had all of these antiques and, like, old musty chairs and, like, I don't know, like, thrift store paintings and silver, just kind of, like, stuff you collect over time. And so given that it's already difficult, they're like, all right, well, let's take all this stuff and let's just take it to an auction house because if we take it to an auction house, then uh, they'll, they'll sell it. Maybe we'll get a couple hundred bucks and we'll be able to cover some expenses that we have. So they take these boxes and drop them off, and there's all kinds of stuff in there, and they leave it with, a, with an estate auction house, and they're just there to watch and watch the, the whole thing go. And, you know, things go up, a vase, a lamp, I don't know, like all kinds of just random stuff. You know, it's like 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, maybe like, oh, 200 bucks. Okay, that was actually valuable. Maybe we should have antique row showed that. But they go through these different parts, and all of a sudden this one uh, little painting, nine-inch painting, um, it was considered, it was called remar uh, Remarkably Unremarkable uh, as a descriptor for this painting. And 
Uh, it, I don't know. It's like that. It was in like an old antique, um, like kind of like knockoff Victorian era frame. And they had labeled it triple portrait with lady fainting. Um, not a lady fainting, just with lady fainting, which is the laziest attempt at naming things purely by just sight in general. And so triple portrait with lady fainting went up on the auction block. And like all things, the brothers are waiting. And all of a sudden, they look up and realize that bidding has immediately jumped to $5,000, to which they thought, that's pretty awesome. And then immediately it jumps to $25,000. And they thought, something's happening. And so as the bidding goes, all of a sudden it gets to $850,000 in a matter of 10 minutes. And in this moment, the brothers are thinking like, this is the greatest thing to ever happen. This is really an emotional roller coaster this week. And so they're watching this and the painting gets all the way to $1 million. Mind you, it's a nine inch painting. It's like this big, extraordinary or remarkably unremarkable, right? This is what it's labeled as. This painting, triple portrait with lady painting, gets to $1 million. Here's what's happened. Y'all want to know what happened? Let's do it. Somewhere on the internet, (laughs) a French art collector who was browsing estate sales realized that this was not triple portrait with lady painting. This was the unconscious patient, an allegory of sense and smell, by a little-known painter named Rembrandt and uh, decided to make a play for it, which to, um, I don't know, the Internet is still undefeated. And other people began to realize this was happening, and so they began to bid. A guy from Germany, a guy from France, a couple local bidders began to bid and bid and bid and bid and bid. Again, no one had actually proven yet that this was a Rembrandt. They just realized this is a Rembrandt. Let me to- let's toss up the painting real quick if you got it. Remember, this is, only, this is much bigger, and they say this is a lady. Jury's out. Um, <laughs> but, like, you can see it's, like, fainting and crusty. There was definitely a painting under it at one point. This is something that, like, you know, you can goodwill this. I guarantee you. Uh, and so this painting goes for $1 million. And so after the auction, they use, like, some kind of UV light, and they find Rembrandt's signature on this painting. And they say that if they had found the signature first, it would have gone for two, three, sometimes four, five times as much money. Because as it turns out, this image is kind of in the realm of paintings remarkably unremarkable. But it bears the signature of the master. And that makes it a masterpiece. So this painting with its faded chipped paint that's lived for who knows how long in a New Jersey basement mixed with other junk and other rubble and other garbage and other things that wasn't on a wall, it wasn't hung up for display, it was in a damp, stinky New Jersey basement, is worth $1 million. And it's worth it because it's a masterpiece. Some of you guys, you might look at your own life and think, I am remarkably unremarkable. Some of you, you might not even have enough self-worth to get to remarkably unremarkable. But this painting, though it was hidden, though it was tucked away in darkness, was it still a masterpiece, church? Was it still a masterpiece when it was in the dark? Was it still a masterpiece, though it's fading? 
Was it still a masterpiece, though those brothers did not appreciate it? Let me hear you. Was it still a masterpiece, though the people who should have valued it did not value it? Was it a masterpiece, even though it was hidden away, forgotten about, not put on a museum? Then so are you. It was valuable because it bore the signature of the master. And hear me when I say in your life, you have value because you bear the signature and the mark of the mighty creator God, ruler of heaven and earth, who sent his son to die for you, who rose him back to life for you, to bring you into eternal freedom with him, and sent his Holy Spirit to be with you. You bear on you the image of God. I'm going to invite our band up this morning. And some of you, you might, you might not own that image, because what's happened is just like that $5 bill is a... The ways of life have really stomped on you, and they've wrinkled you up, and they've crumbled you up, and they've stomped on you again, and then you kind of unfolded a little bit, and they crumbled you back up and stomped on you again, and so you don't feel like you have value. You don't feel like you have purpose. You probably more clearly identify with a remarkably unremarkable painting in a New Jersey basement than you do a masterpiece in a museum. But I believe that God has sent me here this morning to tell you into your heart that you have a God-given value and purpose that is not defined by your substance or situation, that is not defined by your wounds, that is not defined by how the world has jumped on you and beat on you, is not defined by the words that you tell yourself at night when you feel like you're not good enough and you're not doing enough and you're not living up to enough. The Lord has sent the Holy Spirit to get down into the thrush, into the reeds, into the junk and stir up your heart because he says, listen, you were meant for to be right here, right near to me, right close to me, not in the garbage, not in the darkness, not in the deception, not in the depression, not in the oppression, not in the addiction. You were meant to be right here. You have God-given value and you have God-given purpose and your purpose is to be near with me. And this morning, some of you, someone here, I just really believe God is trying to say, and he's trying to put that value back into you because you do not believe it. And he's trying to put that purpose back into you because you do not accept it. But he's here today to say, you are precious to me. And you have value to me. That you were created to walk in the freedom and the power that comes from a new life in Jesus Christ. Not in deception, not beat up, not forgotten, not lost, not in darkness, not separated, not selfish, not prideful, not trying to make it on your own merit, not trying to make it with enough money and enough things, but just close to him found. See, the world tells you that your value comes from what you do. The world tells you, you find your value. Yeah, I mean, you're great and all, but you'd look a lot better with a Tesla. And you might look good in one, but you're not going to find your purpose in there. It's got nice seats, but it's not going to take you into your purpose. The world says, you might look a lot better if you had a new house, if you had a new boyfriend, if you had a new girlfriend. Might look a lot better if you looked a certain way or had a certain job that looked better on Instagram than your current job does. You'd have vision, you'd have value, you'd have purpose if you just came from this kind of family or you hadn't made these mistakes when you were younger. See how the world is always trying to clarify your value and purpose? They're just stomping on you. But it doesn't 
matter because you bear the image of the maker. And so they can say whatever garbage that they want to say, but they cannot define you and they cannot decide your value because God gave it, God found it, and he wants to restore you to it. Here's what I know. Nothing is guaranteed in this world except the love of Jesus. You are not promised. You are not, you are not given another breath on this earth. But right now, you are given the love of Jesus Christ. And if you choose to follow him, if you say, you know what, I'm done being my own God. I need God. I need to follow him with my life. I want the value and purpose that comes from him. If you choose today to do that, you are secured in eternity. So not only do you step into a life full of the freedom and the power of Jesus Christ, no matter what you face, but it means that nagging question of what happens in the end. Where do I go when I die? What is my eternity? It means you know the answer to that. There's a freedom that comes from knowing that you are eternally secured in the love of Jesus Christ. You don't have to, like, iron yourself out. You don't have to unwrinkle yourself. He's just, you're just worth it to him. He takes you just as you are. The great thing about Jesus, though, why I believe that I'm just so thankful for the Holy Spirit, is that he knows that you're under the weight and the junk of the world. But he's just not content to leave you there. And this morning you came here because God didn't want to leave you under there. He wanted to bring you into the light. He wanted you to be secured in the freedom and power of Jesus Christ, in your God-given value and purpose, and to be secured for all eternity through his love. Can I just, can I just plead with you, church? Don't leave and not have that. Don't leave and miss out on the freedom of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you just bow your head and close your eyes with me? A chance to just focus our hearts. I'm going to pray for two things. One is pursuing Christ with our life, and the other one's going to be self-image here in just a moment. But I really believe, and we really stand on the belief that God is pursuing every one of you. The Holy Spirit is beginning to stir in your heart. Maybe you came in this morning and you were just like, I don't know, why am I even here? But you were gracious enough with me to soften your heart and hear how much the Lord loves you. And so in this moment, this is your opportunity. This is your one day that you've been waiting for and you didn't know it. But since you can't guarantee another breath... I just encourage you to do the best you can with what you got. What you got is this moment. And this moment is to say, Jesus, I, I don't want to be the God of my life. I need you to be Lord of my life. Maybe some of you, you have never made that decision to follow Jesus with your life. You have never really fully given your heart to him and received the freedom and the power that comes from a new life in Jesus Christ. But this morning you're saying, you know what, I'm not risking another minute. I want to know not only who I walk with in this life, but who I walk with for all eternity. Maybe some of you, you you've made that choice and you feel so distant and all you want to do is just come back. You're afraid to raise your hand or do something because you don't want to be counted out. The people would judge you, but this morning the Holy Spirit has begun to work on your heart and wants you to make a decision to return to Him. So with every eye closed, with every heart bowed, 
in this place, if that's you and you're saying this morning, Jesus, I choose to give you my life, or Jesus, I recommit my life to you and choose to follow you, I'm going to ask you in just three seconds, just lift up your hand. One, if you're going to give your life to the Lord. Two, if you're going to recommit yourself. And just three, if you're saying right now, Jesus, I'm not going to wait another minute. I give it to you. Lift it up. And you lift it up. I see you. Yes, put it down. Yes, I see you. Yes. Yes, thank you. I'm going to pray with you this morning if you raise your hand. And I'm just going to invite us all as a church to just repeat after me. It's kind of a collective assembly thing. If you've done this prayer, you knew, you know how much this means. They're not magic words. It's just the station of our heart and the posture of our heart. So just, just repeat after me if you would, church, in unity. And if, and if this is your first time or maybe you're returning, this is just you praying, God, I give you my heart. This is all that is, is you're committing right now. This is you and him. This is how relationships work, not religion, relationships you and Jesus right now in this moment. So let's pray. Say, dear Jesus, come on, dear Jesus, thank you for saving me, for dying on the cross, for rising again, for taking away my sin and shame. I choose this day to repent before you to lay my life at your feet and choose to follow you with my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And one more thing this morning, and stay right here. Every eye closed, we're in this moment. We exist in a generation and a nation that struggles with identity and struggles with truth when it comes to our image and who we are. And I believe that's a scheme of the enemy to attack our very nature as adopted sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. As adopted sons and daughters with Jesus Christ under the Lord God our Father. And so this morning, if you struggle with self-image and identity, and you struggle with your God-given value and purpose. And most of the time, you say things to yourself and the kind of things to yourself that if people knew, their hearts would break because you are so hard on yourself. You are so hard on your past. You are so hard on your body. You are so hard on your thoughts. You are so hard. You call it being a perfectionist, but really the enemy has just lied to you and says you have to be perfect. You just have to be a son or daughter. That's what you're called to be. You are not called to be mean to yourself and deride your self-image and to beat yourself up and to hate yourself and to hate yourself as a father and to hate yourself as a mother or to feel like you're a failure or to beat on your image or identity. This morning, God, and I believe the Holy Spirit wants to restore your God-given value and purpose. And so this morning, I'm going to ask just for a moment of boldness. You're not going to come forward. Don't freak out. But right now, I'm going to ask if you're saying, God, I need you to restore my God-given value, to remove the lies of the enemy and restore my God-given value and purpose. I need that, Jesus. I can't leave without that. I need you to restore my value. Would you just lift your hand up? Every eye closed, every head bowed. I need you to restore my value this morning, Jesus. Leave them up, leave them up, leave them up. I'm going to pray for you right now, every person in this room. 
Dear Jesus, I thank you that you see every hand, that every person is an adopted son or daughter of yours, God, that they are precious in your sight, that they are dear to you. And God, no matter what they're under, God, they still have the same value. And so, God, I just speak to every heart this morning. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I break every lie of the enemy that says you are not good enough. I speak every lie of the enemy that speaks to your body as if to shame you, that speaks to your past as if to shame you, that speaks to your motherhood or your fatherhood or your singleness or your or your addictions or your oppression as if to shame you and we release those things in the name of Jesus you were made for freedom you were made for wholeness you were made for unity you were made for to be complete in Christ alone and so we break every lie every scheme of the enemy and we pray right now that you would be restored by the love of Jesus to your God-given value and your God-given purpose you don't have to live one more second with the lies of the enemy convincing you that you are not good enough, convincing you that you are not lovable, convincing you that you are a failure, convincing you that you are ugly. God has made you precious and beautiful, and you are close to him. And in the name of Jesus, I declare the promises of God over your life. I declare the authority of God over your life. And I pray that right now in this moment, you would just experience a deeper revelation of God's love for you, that you would not leave this place without experiencing the fullness of the love of God on your life. Wait on him in this moment. Say, Jesus, give me a deeper revelation of your love for me and my God-given value found within it. Give me a deeper revelation of your love. Give me a deeper revelation of your love this morning. Just in this moment of worship, some of you with your eyes closed, some of you in a posture of worship, I'm going to invite us that we would sing this song. and It declares the faithfulness of God. And here's what I want us to do. See, your God-given value and your God-given purpose comes through His authority. And so when you feel attacked in that, what you need to do is not sing your own authority, but sing the authority of God and declare that, God, you are faithful. All your promises, all the words in your scripture about me and about you are true, and they're good, and I receive them. So I'm going to invite the band to sing this. It says, faithful you are. Faithful forever you will be. And all your promises are yes and amen. Can we worship together this morning as we close?